Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Umbles Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, the best in new inventory, all with great warranties. Great pre owned inventory. With the Sunbury Motors guarantee, which means so much. And also, a great service department with fabulous technicians to back it all up. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Mark Wogan Rich in a moment, but first, our play-by-play call of the day. Zero wing dread for three and a thousand. It's good. Miles Dread becomes the 38th player in the history of Nittany Lion basketball to go over 1,000 career points. He's at 1,001. Okay. Seth Lundy, by the way, is 35 points away from being the 39th, just to file that away. Mark Wogenrich now joins us, who was not with me at the basketball game last night. Sir, welcome. I'm glad you got back safely. Appreciate it, Steve. Thanks so much. Happy New Year. Happy New Year too, my friend. It was great to see you out there. Yeah, it uh, was. As, as with your usual great coverage, by the way. Uh, Manny Diaz had an opportunity. I, I think there were a couple of defining moments this season, quietly. One was the speech that P.J. Mustafer made to the team after the Ohio State game that really resonated with the players. The other was the great conversation you had with Manny Diaz where he talked about the heart-to-heart he had with his players after the Michigan game. What resonated with you about that conversation you had with Manny? It was reminiscent in a way of like 2016 with Manny. You know, Manny obviously has no uh, tie to that season six years ago, but there were you could pull out some threads of a similarity in that there was kind of like this, uh, you know, after the 2016 game, uh, the Penn State at Michigan, I remember they, the players talked about on the plane, I think Trace McSorley said stuff like, you know, we had to decide what direction we were going to go in. And that's exactly what Manny said um, in California about that game. It was interesting. I remember like James Franklin after the Michigan game said we need to get bigger, we need to get stronger up front, especially, you know, on the defensive line. And Manny said, you know, we watched the film and it wasn't necessarily that. It wasn't necessarily size that did us in that game. It was more um, trust. It was more players, uh, not that they don't trust the system, but that they weren't doing the things they they were supposed to be doing. So everybody else didn't have trust that somebody was going to be in the right position. Simple things like that. You know, filling gaps, you know, manning responsibilities, not trying to freely have to play. And that was where his conversation came to. Um, that was the time we heard, you know, during the season that the defense kind of watched that film as a unit. And then they came out of it, and Manny Diaz says, okay, where are we going to go? 
which which direction do you guys want to go in? Do you want to play the defense that we're going to play, or do you want to go freelancing all over the place? And I saw what happened after the fact. Even you know, even in that um, Ohio State game, for the most part, you know, short field touchdowns, things like that, still were pretty good. And for the rest of the season, besides you know, a couple of lapsed tackles here and there, and especially we're a little bit in the Rose Bowl. They were on point. I mean, they did things that they were supposed to do. Um, pretty much everybody seemed to be doing what they were supposed to do. And I think the one guy you could really see internalizing that coming along in that sense was Abdul Carter, in yeah. that he was putting together, he was combining what he's physically gifted to do with the knowledge of what to do, uh, how to use it, how to translate that into, the, into, the, uh, into their defense. And that really uh, manifested after that. Because there were a couple of guys in that Michigan game that were having alignment issues. And this is where you're talking about the trust part of it. You had other guys then not trusting it, thus trying to make up for it instead of just doing their job. And I think that's what he was he was probably uh, you know getting down to there. Yeah, it's not that he was saying guys didn't it's just that they didn't trust each other that they couldn't do their job. Right. It's right. right. It's a, you just had maybe there were some young players. There were still, you know, there's still young players playing in that game. So if somebody in the gap is not filling the gap next to you, your maybe your inclination is to go to the A gap or something like that, or try to cover a zone that you're not supposed to be in because you see an empty space there. You're trying to overperform in some ways, and that's um, that's a correctable thing for coaches. And then if they find somebody who's trying to overdo something. They uh, they can then turn around and say, "Look, just your job. Focus on your job." And that's exactly, I think, what he was saying. Right, and that's that's what it comes down to. Now you watch the game on Monday, and as it's playing out, what were some of the thoughts as you watched it play out? Some of the things I was thinking were, first of all. Chunkler was so good on third down. There was a lot of control to that. I didn't think I was thinking this until the big play. But there was, you know, he was really controlled on third down through some really good passes on third down. I think he was five for five at one point on mm-hmm. um, um, third down, converting for, you know, and converting first down. So they were really good there. Then they would try to go hurry and get into that tempo, and it just didn't quite work. I mean, I think they he maybe just missed Mitchell Tinsley on a on a deep ball. So they were getting they were getting I think where it looked like they wanted to run that tempo on first down, weren't quite getting there. And then you saw one, um, the well, the Nicholas Singleton play, obviously, obviously the big run. But I think what the most fascinating thing to me was the touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith because that was a third down. And it was a third medium. And, and after the game, um, Mike Yersuch was really fascinating in talking about this. He said that was not a third that was not a third medium play. Obviously, you know, from the 12-yard 12, you know, 12 line, you're not going to run a double move. That's not going to be in your call sheet. Third and four, double move, big play. But they put it there because of the defense that Utah was playing and because of what they had done to kind of draw Utah up into that um, – you know, defense is trying to stop the quick passes. He threw a couple of really nice quick on a slant to, to Tinsley, Mitchell Tinsley on third down to convert. And he saw that. And, you know, it was, you know, uh, a really fascinating quote that I thought from Mike Yersuch says, okay, we're going to call it and say, all right, we're going to hope for the best. And 
<laughs> Dels was born the longest touchdown pass in Roseville history by Mike Yersich hoping for the best. I thought that was fascinating to me. It's interesting because there was a lot made, and justifiably, of Utah's win over USC, not just once but twice, and the second one being the Pac-12 championship game. Yet I'm watching the tape of that just to get a real feel on personnel. And what I saw is that Clark Phillips is a fabulous corner, and there was nobody else out there I thought could play for Penn State. I mean, so I'm watching the tape. That's because look at all the wide open gaps USC had in the yeah. game, and that was the Lambert Smith play. Same thing. They made the same mistakes there. They made in the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. The other thing that I kind of turned to, you know, I think Utah made a big deal, and I think people made a big deal about Utah um, offensively, really not allowing sacks. I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, I think they were something. I mean, they led the Pac-12. They were allowing fewer than it was like less than a sack a game. I don't remember, you know, exactly some of the numbers. And Penn State had six. Now, some of that came to you know came after Cam Rising got hurt, and naturally Manny Diaz is going to attack the backup quarterback. So that was you know that certainly was part of it. But even without that, even before that, I mean, Cam Rising was under before he got injured. Hopefully, you know. That's not as long as long term an injury as Kyle Whittingham kind of made it out to be after the fact. But they got after him, and they might not have gotten to him because he's just a tough quarterback to sack. But yeah. they turned him. You know, they they put him under duress to the point where what, I think what eight of eight of twenty, eight of twenty one, something like that. I, I mean, he he's eight of twenty one for ninety five yards. Yeah, eight of twenty one, ninety five yards, and one of. One of them was where um, where Wilson slipped and fell down, and the ball right, was short. Exactly, it was underthrown. Yeah, that was half his yardage. It was the forty-seven yard. Yes. Um, play, and that was that was one of those plays that uh, Manny went all in. Um, I think he had an eight-man front, just and everybody that left a single, and and uh, you saw I think you saw Marquise like, lose his footing a little bit, and and Delhi kind of did, made a nice uh, adjustment to that ball, but that was. I mean, that was kind of the extent of their offense. Again, outside of – I mean, they ran the ball really well. And I think Penn State kind of had uh, had some, you know, ball game tackling issues. But for the most part, crowd them pretty – crowd them, uh, I, I thought, pretty well. Obviously, one of the differences in this season for Penn State that they had not had since Journey Brown was – happened to be the, the two freshman running backs – and the breakaway ability each one has, especially Nicholas Singleton. When you saw that run that he made where they really faked out the secondary just by the quick looks of the sideline, what was your thought watching that play? <laughs> Saquon, Kajana? <laughs> yeah, did you, exactly. How did your mind not go yes. to that, you know, in, in that, you know, in that stadium? <laughs> uh, the very similar... Very similar things. Nicholas, I mean, Singleton's run was just that was that burst that yeah. that Mike Yurcich and James Franklin always point to. That when he can get, he can just get into that gear, he can go. And I thought one fascinating thing. I think it was Brenton Strange. I think Brenton Strange after the game a really an interesting point he made was that. Uh, 
you know, Sean Clifford did something at the line of scrimmage. I'm not exactly sure. I got to you know, fuzzy know what he was saying. But Sean did, like, he made some sort of adjustment at the line of scrimmage that moved, like, somebody on Utah's defense just enough. The Holbert, it was, it was yeah. Holbert, Holbert the safety. It was coming yeah. up like a cover zero look, and Sean, Sean yep. was able to get them into the, yeah. Right. And that was just enough for, you know, for, like, Brenton to get uh, leverage. And just those little things... Um, uh, yeah, that was a yeah, that was a big time Nicholas Singleton play, no question about it. But that's the kind of stuff I think under the radar you're going to really miss about Sean initially. That he those kinds of things that he was able to do. I mean, you know, I think he on the you know the third down throw to Lambert Smith, he was kind of I think he was kind of nudging for that play too, based on what yep. he was seeing from their defense that they were giving up, you know, that they were going to now come in and try to take away those, the medium throws. And they knew they were going to have it. Like you were, you know, and like you said, there was a corner that Keandre could beat. So all of that stuff, those are the things that Penn State's young quarterbacks are going to have to learn how to do. And for, you know, for all the, you know, all the flex Sean has taken over his career. I think there's probably dozens of moments like that, that we just really don't know about. Um, Really, they're just little, um, just little illustrations of moments that he has made a difference in a play, and that might not have gone 87 yards. It might have only gone eight yards, you know. But that eight yards covered a first down, or got him into field goal range, or got him out of trouble, whatever it might have been. I think those kinds of things that Sean has done that take time uh, for quarterbacks to learn. This was the first real opportunity for the media to talk with the freshmen. What were your thoughts on them as communicators, as people, because it was the first exposure you really had to talk with them? I really I, – I had high expectations for them because I they're all polished football players and they come from good programs and in the day – you know, the age of NIL – they are going to have had dealings uh, with you know stuff like this. They've done appearances. They've you know they've met fans. They've negotiated contracts, things like that. So mm. I knew they were going to be really good. You know, Drew was phenomenal. You know, who in the guy I really liked was Bo Perbula. Yes, um, he had a real kind of a real sense of competitiveness about it. But he also had this. He had this. Um, I don't know to phrase it that. It, this almost like mentorship under uh, under Sean Clifford. One thing I've heard great leaders say in all across all walks of life is uh, one of the best pieces of advice advice they've gotten is to have a mentor. And Bo, I think, really kind of took that because he spoke really glowingly about about Sean Clifford and, and things that he's taught him. Things, uh, you know. You know how to approach a practice, how to approach a post practice. Uh, you know what you're going to look for in film. What when you're doing a specific drill, when you're doing whatever it is, a three-step drop drill, a five-step drop drill. Make sure that you are actually performing that drill. You know, don't cut a corner when you're doing stuff like that. And he was really, he was really eloquent about talking about Sean in that sense, and I found that to be a really good uh, really good insight uh, into where he's coming from, because, you know, he wants to compete for that starting job, too, so he took it upon himself to, I'm not saying that Drew didn't, but it just in in discussing, you know, Sean with 
Bo, he really kind of uh, he tried to make himself uh, available as much as possible to Sean, and I think Sean really appreciated that. I mean, he said he developed a really good relationship with him. And the thing, you know, I mean, they're six years apart. That's a tough. That's a tough age difference. That's the kind of thing when you're 24 that you just kind of want to dismiss an 18-year-old. But Sean did not do that. I mean, he really went big brother on him good. And I think that that's going to pay a lot of dividends for Bell. Uh, moving forward, because obviously they'll be back in class on Monday. Eventually winter workouts will start, then spring practice. What are some elements you're looking for already with this football team that everyone needs to be watching for as they move forward and develop. Yeah. I think that, you know, basically what I just said about Bo is going to extend with the quarterbacks, with Drew and Bo. When are they going to be able to do those uh, those little things that Sean can do? I mean, we've watched Drew throw the ball, and uh, it's pretty awesome stuff to see what he can do throwing a football but how does he manage a football game one of the one of the you know this is one of the james franklin's biggest praises of sean is that he manages a football game and that kind of gets sometimes that gets taken as a pejorative that you're calling a quarterback a game manager and that that's a negative thing and maybe in some cases it is but there's a lot of positives to that you can be a phenomenal throw or the football, and if you're not a good game manager, it doesn't matter that you can throw the ball 65 yards on third and eight. If it's not, if that's not the right play, that you're supposed to be running on third and eight. So that, to me, is going to be the main thing. And then I think the two guys on defense that I think are going to be so important for them to try to figure out a way uh, to manage without a P.J. Mustafer and Jair Brown. I thought it was phenomenal that Sean yeah. and Jair Brown finished out the careers the way they did. Jair had a phenomenal game. He had a phenomenal Yes, season, he did. But that was, that was an unbelievable football game from a guy I thought might play 30 snaps. You know, the kind of thing that, that James Franklin had said you know, throughout the week, well, with the guys who are leaving, we can manage snaps for them. And Jair was on the field most of that game. I know that there was some, uh, you know, they had uh, like an injury at the other safety spot, but Jair played. And he went all out in that game, and he had an absolutely phenomenal Rose Bowl. He, you know, that was just that was a cap to a you know a college career that who knows you know three four years ago who knows where it would have been and to see where he has come. Those those are the kind of players to me uh, that I I look at and go, that's a harder thing to replace than you think. Even with the you know the sixth ranked recruiting class in the country and the fourteenth ranked class in the country. Those kinds of guys are difficult to find. They're difficult to replace. Not that they're impossible, but it always takes time to get young players to where they know as much about football and as much about the game as Sean Clifford and Jair Brown. Well said. As always, Mark, thanks so much. Great work as always. Look forward. I always look forward to talking to you. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully see you Sunday. I'll see you Sunday down at the Palestra. Never been there. Looking forward to it. Oh, Mark, you're going to love it. It is, um, first of all, it's going to be loud. It's going to be sold out. It's just, you feel like you're going to go from the Rose Bowl, one iconic venue to another one. That's going to be pretty cool. I I haven't thought about that, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Mark, thanks, my friend. Yep, appreciate it, Steve. Thank you. 
Mark Wogenrich, SI.com. We'll come back more in a moment. Great to have you with us today on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Mm-hmm. When car repairs get difficult. Well, I, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections. Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 630 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury. And Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the mm. out of auto repair. All right, final half hour coming up. Matt's already pacing about Sunday. Slightly. Slightly? I've talked to everybody in the station. They say you're a wreck. (laughs) I may be the day up, but right now I'm just slightly. How often, like, during the course of the day do you think about Sunday's game? Um, I'd say more this time frame when we're talking about it. And maybe sometimes in the evening when I'm rocking Mark to sleep. Hmm. You ever think about Bill's the mortgage? Um, no, nah, not really, actually. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to talk with Mark Wolverich today from SI.com. Always gives great perspective. Today's show brought to you by good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Humble's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai. Great brand names, fabulous warranties. Great pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. By the way, January is a great time to buy a car. It really is. Great time to buy a vehicle, any vehicle. And they have also have a fabulous service department that backs all of this up. Great technicians. They're looking for more, as a matter of fact. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. You want to know what makes them great technicians, Matt? Well, they're great people. They concentrate on their job and don't think about the Eagles game. (laughs) All right, so... (laughs) You hate when you step into that stuff, don't you? (laughs) You usually get me pretty good. And actually, I believe Tom Mertz is a Steelers fan anyway, so... Oh, that's right, Tom Mertz, he is. (laughs) But... It's all in the setup, Matt. It's all in the setup. Oh, I know. <laughs> come on, you got to set me up, right? You got to <laughs> come on. You know, I can take it. 
come back at you so aggressive. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my almighty! No. no. Oh, man. So they're not going to play the Bengals-Bills game, which is smart. That's the right decision. Um, now, what they do after this, I don't know. There has been some talk about adding another playoff team to make it eight. I don't know. We'll see. It's also going to be interesting to see how the Bills emotionally handle this. And even to a point how the Bengals emotionally handle it. Uh, Hamlin is, by all reports, I think they said he's making, quote, remarkable progress. Correct. Was able to grab the hand of a family member, can move arms and legs, and is writing, is communicating via writing because he still has the breathing tube. Yeah. But the first thing he apparently asked was, who won the game? And the doctor said, you won the game of life. Yeah. That's right. Uh, And the great work by their trainer. Um, probably saved him. You know, when you recognize what the issue is right away, like I mentioned, what Wayne did with Adam Talaferro, what Saz did with Marlon Smith. Uh, those are two of the the scary ones I've been around. Um, Adams, of course, happened in a game. Uh, Marlon's happened at a practice, but. You see stuff like calm, cool, collected, understand what they're seeing, why they're seeing, make the right diagnosis, which means they're making the right move, and they end up saving people. That's what the Bills training staff did, and to all their credit. Like, they have better training and better equipment now than they did when Chuck Hughes passed away nearly 50 years ago. Um, they have better equipment, better training than when Hank Gathers passed away in 1990. Ironically, I was at the Palestra that night when it happened. It was, Penn State was in the Big Ten. It was in, excuse me, the Atlantic Ten tournament. They were playing Duquesne that evening, and of course, Hank Gathers was from Philadelphia. And at that point, we're going to be on the floor. Sunday, but on that night I was in the upper level of the palestra. And I had to work the game alone that night. And I got the word that he had collapsed. And, like, you know, you look at the paper, oh my God, because he had had a previous issue. So all of us knew about the previous issue. But he had been cleared finally, and he was back playing. You're like, oh, no. And then when we get to the post-game show and we find out that he had passed, you're like, oh. The city was, not just the basketball world, but the city of Philadelphia was devastated. So we've seen this before, and as we said yesterday, we don't know what caused this. All right, let's start with this. Let's start with something simple. We don't know the Hamlin family history. Mom's side, dad's side, we we don't know that. 
And doctors even said they still don't have a diagnosis yet. Right. Right. Uh, so we don't know the family history. Uh, we don't know if the hit caused it. We don't know if it would have happened if he was walking down the street. We don't know if a previous injury may have caused it. We don't. I mean, this just. I mean, we don't know anything. We don't know anything, and that's why we've taken a very cautious. And I understand why. Radio producers, TV producers, they're lining people up. It's a story that interests a lot of people. I understand that. But there's nothing anybody can say unless they're physically in the room with them and have and can give the answers. Other than that, everybody else is just throwing darts and guessing. And that's why Matt and I have talked about, well, do we want to have this guest on, that guest on? And, and, I've, and I've said, no, I just don't. I just don't want to go down that path. That's me. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I just feel instead of just playing a, a game of talking to somebody for about twelve minutes or so, of just going around in a circle of guessing. I mean, I, I, is that productive for the audience? No, he, I I just wanted I just wanted to have the best outcome possible, no matter what. No matter what. And as for the playoff thing, I don't care what the NFL does. I think most people don't care what the NFL does with it. Um, if they decide not to play and go with seven teams in each conference, fine. If they decide to go with eight teams in each conference, fine. Whatever. I, it doesn't matter. You know, The only thing that matters is that DeMar Hamlin has as full a recovery as possible, if not a complete recovery. You know, it's it's been well documented what a great guy he is. What he's done for the children toy drive and what he's done in Pittsburgh, what his teammates think of him. Uh, so But that's you know, that's the only thing you're hoping for is that he has the single best outcome possible. All right. So we're in that time of the year where College football, they still have one game remaining, and that will be in Los Angeles at SoFi, Georgia, and TCU. Give TCU all the credit in the world. Remember, we were having the conversation before. It was only a conversation. It wasn't a prediction. Like, if they lost to Kansas State, would that knock them out of the playoff? And it turned out, it was in overtime because TCU made a great comeback and they did lose the game, but I think because it was in overtime, there was no conversation about knocking them out and they ended up being seated third. And here they are in the national championship game. We have mentioned several times that they're going to move to 12, and when the new contract comes up in 26, I'm of the opinion, and this is only an opinion, this is not based on any conversation I've had with anybody, but you're trying to read the tea leaves of it. And if you're going to go with multiple TV partners, which is, it's, I don't think it takes a genius to figure out that's what they're going to do. It's not just going to be ESPN doing the playoff because you can get more money with multiple TV partners. Well, the more inventory you have, the better. That's why I think they'll go to 16. 
And this now goes back to our original conversation in the opening half hour about the Eagles and playing a 17-game season. What's the problem every team in the NFL has and now has hit the Eagles? And that is the war of attrition. You know, you go keep going out there over and over and over again, and as time goes, you're going to lose a guy there and lose a guy there, and your depth's going to be tested, and somebody... You know, I understand the term next man up. I completely get it, but there's a reason why Lane Johnson is starting. There's a reason why Jalen Hurts is the starter. And I mean, sometimes it happens to a team early. The Cowboys had to go with Cooper Rush early. Now they've got Dak Prescott, and Prescott's been up and down. It's not as if Prescott's been, you know, setting the world on fire at quarterback, but he is the starter. And you know, and with all due respect to Cooper Rush, he does play a better game than Cooper Rush does. Even though Rush did a nice job, and Minshew for the most part does a nice job, but they, you know. Rush is not Dak, and Minshew is not Jalen. That was one of the intriguing parts of Monday night, was it's going to be Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. And it was surreal sitting on the bus. We were waiting for James and the coaches and the team to come out, you know, some of the players to come out. But... uh, but Jack and I were sitting in the back of the bus, and all of a sudden we're getting all of this information relayed to us. I mean, so we never saw it. Um, And I believe everybody is universally praising ESPN with the tremendous sensitivity with which they showed the situation. Correct. I didn't see any of it myself live. I was in the midst of putting the boys to bed when I, when I was just follow, following sure. everything on social media but yeah that's sure. that's what oh, yeah. I gathered yeah, I mean and we you know we did all we you know we're Jack and I were getting messages from friends about what happened and you know because we you know there's no way we could get near a TV set uh, and it's it's just you know it was awful all right, we'll take a break. One final break. After I'm done with you, I have to talk with the good people of Salt Lake City. I will just answer their questions. I don't really know what to say to them. <laughs> Depends on what the questions are. Um, but I have them on a show on KLLS, something like that. Yes, interesting. Uh, well, they asked. I said, sure, I'd do it. What the heck. Uh, and then I'm, then I'll go over to the field, and we got the coaches' show tonight. What time do you put your kids to bed? Well, the the process begins between eight thirty and nine. When they actually get to bed is a different topic. Mark's usually pretty good. We usually have him down by nine fifteen, nine thirty. Luke is more of a challenge. He's a, a dirty stay up sometimes, as they like to call it. So I try not to have the TV on and all that while we're in the process of. So either if sports are on, I either have to follow on social media or if I can get the stream working on my phone, then I'll just watch it like on silent. Does he know who's in charge? He does. 
Yeah, he is. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. <laughs> I just asked who was in charge, and I think I got my answer. <laughs> it's mom, mostly. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, he's great, so. He's been over the house. We've had him here. We have both of them here. That's right. right. Yeah, both of them here at the house. They're great. They're lucky. All right. Um, talking to the, the security guard who was at the booth. So people, you know, you know, he directs people upstairs. He's just a super nice guy. I've seen him for years and years and years. I was talking to him last night, and I, and he was, I was asked him about how many grandkids do you have, and he said, I have five. He said, well, he said, I said, do you have them all there for the holidays? Oh, God, it was the greatest. You know, and he asked me, and I told him I had seven. He goes, oh, my goodness. I said, no, no, no. He says, you got five great ones. I said, I got seven great ones. doesn't matter about numbers. The fact they're just great. Um, well, you got two great ones, so, you know, two great children. Well, thank you. So, there you go. Okay. Uh, let's see, a little slower night tonight, right? Uh, everything is, you feel like, I know there's a lot of college basketball going on. For example, Purdue and uh, Ohio State will play tonight. So that will be the focus of what I have because I want to take a long look at Purdue. And I mostly want to take a look at the two freshman guards. Uh, they're going to be, to me, the two guys for Purdue moving forward I want to keep a close eye on because they're logging a lot of minutes. This is not a rotation where they're bringing in somebody in there and it's just enough to divvy up the minutes. No. Uh, they're logging a lot of minutes, Lawyer and Smith in that backcourt, and it's not going to affect them now, but I'm wondering at the end of this month, when we hit that mythical wall of February 1, how will they be? Edie takes a lot of pressure off of them. Gillis takes a lot of pressure off of them. Newman takes a lot of pressure off of them. Uh, First takes a lot of pressure off them. Caleb First. But still, they have to be the ones that handle the ball more than anybody else, and they have to run the show. And I'll be interested to watch them tonight against Ohio State in that game. And then tomorrow, let's see what's going on tomorrow. Tomorrow's kind of kind of a, one of the few slower Friday nights. It's one thing bold times over with. All you people are like too many bowl games, man. I, I mean, I'm missing them now. <laughs> uh, and then you get the uh, uh, you get the uh, national championship game, which we'll get into on Monday night. And we got the king tomorrow, right? We have the king tomorrow. We have Chris Mack tomorrow. Yes, we'll talk to Chris. Uh, they've got the Browns this weekend, uh, as a matter of fact. Deshaun Watson has not played well. Have you noticed that? Yeah, a little bit, and I can't say I'm surprised. Well, I mean, look, there's a lot of rust that goes with it, but it's interesting that Russell Wilson 
Deshaun Watson, neither has played well this season. It took Aaron Rodgers a long time to get going, but now Rodgers seems to have gotten into a groove, and the Packers have a shot by beating the Lions on Sunday to get into the playoffs. Brady has not played well this season. Derek Carr has been replaced. It's interesting how the quarterback deal has played out in the NFL. Uh, you know, things that we thought in the offseason, the best division for quarterbacks, easily, was going to be the AFC West. Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. Well, Mahomes and Herbert have both played to standard. The other two haven't. Jalen Hurts was electric last year, but still had questions surrounding him this year. He's been the most dynamic player in the league. Justin Fields won't play this weekend, but Fields has gotten a lot better. Daniel Jones was getting standing ovations on Sunday. Washington still doesn't have a quarterback. Howell's going to start, the rookie from North Carolina this week. It's, you know, and then there's Brock Purdy. They haven't gotten to him. It's going to be Trey Lance. And then Lance going out, and Garoppolo did fine. Up now he's out. Brock Purdy's the quarterback. Rams don't have Stafford. Murray's out. Geno Smith had a good year. There, there's a long list of unpredictable in what we have seen in this NFL season. A long list. It's amazing, isn't it? When you think back on it, Mac Jones did not take steps forward. Zach Wilson didn't. Tua was up and down. Josh Allen's been Josh Allen's been really good. Maybe not perfect, but he's been really good. Joe Burrow's been terrific. Lamar Jackson's been hurt. Kenny Pickett has been decent. And Trevor Lawrence has really come on, and the Jags are a win away from the playoffs in Doug Peterson's first season. How about that? Love it for Dougie P. Speaks highly of you. Oh, yeah. Always think fondly of Dougie P. Except for 2020. He speaks highly of you.